Because this is what we should be doing all week long, is digging into the scriptures. So before we read the parable, today our parable, um, as a matter of fact, it's going to be Luke 16, 16, 19 through 31. You can look that up as I'm talking, you'll have it already. Um, But before this parable, and, and first, actually, let's talk about what a parable is, right? So a parable is a simple story to share a moral message. So it's kind of like Aesop's fables, right? They're stories that kind of share a moral or ethical message with kids. When Jesus tells parables, it's not that it was a true story per se. It's that he is telling this story to share a deeper truth. So that's what uh, a parable is. Last week, Pastor Joe shared the parable of the shrewd manager. So if you remember in that parable, the shrewd manager, which is really not a real accurate term. When we talk about the shrewd manager in our language, we think kind of deceitful, shady, you know. Um, The word used is actually more prudent. He was, he, he made some very prudent decisions at the end. So he was horrible at his job. His boss is going to fire him. So he says, well, I've got to do something or I'm just going to be out of work and I'm going to be broke and not be able to make a living. So this prudent manager recognizes that money and things are not as important as the relationships. So he goes to these other people that, that he had been working with and he says, you know, take some off your bill because he wants to ingratiate himself to those people. So all of this was to kind of talk to the Pharisees and say, look, you are worshiping money and you can't worship both. You can't love both money and God. And at the end of that parable, the Pharisees are all grumbling. They're like, look at this guy. What's he know, right? It's, and they're, they're complaining about what he has said. So now Jesus, knowing what they're saying, hearing their grumbling, goes on to another parable, another story that's going to explain a deeper truth. And that's the story we're on today. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great, cha- a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers let him warn them so that they will 
not also come to this place of torment? Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today, that each one of us, wherever we're at, Father, give us ears to hear your voice. Give us a hearts, give us hearts to receive the message you have for us. And let that message not fall on bad soil, but let that message fall on good soil. That we would look a little more like your son Jesus when we leave here today, when we put all things into practice that your word has taught us to do, when we live the way you have taught us to live. Father, do a mighty work here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excuse me. So the first part of this passage, the very first two lines on my page here, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Who is this rich man? And as we describe who this rich man is, I want to start with one word in this passage, and it's the word purple. Because you may read this passage and you may think, well, that's an odd detail to put in this passage. Why does what color he was wearing matter? But purple was the color of the wealthy. Actually, during imperial Rome, there was a time when it was illegal to wear purple unless you were royalty. Now, during the time of Jesus, I don't know that this was the case because there were different writings that suggested senators and other people also wore purple. But the thing is, purple was extremely expensive. And the reason purple was so expensive is that to make it, they had to catch millions of snails. You wouldn't think your clothing is being colored by snails, especially purple, right? But in Tyre, this is what they did. They were known for their purple dyes. They would take snails thousands and thousands of snails at a time and boil them in water. And then they would have to smush those snails. This is one of the things I got to kind of see on Naked Archaeology, the show on Amazon. Um, And he talks a lot about this. They found out that if you smush these snails into a paste and let it sit out in the sun, it makes the color purple. It stinks to high heaven, and it's a very long process, But that is how you get the color purple. Interesting side note, if you do it inside, indoors, it makes blue. For some reason, the sunlight, you know, works in some chemical thing going on. That's not my job. I don't do chemical stuff. So it makes purple if it's outdoors, blue if it's done indoors. So the color purple was not easy to make. And when they say that color purple was something that only the rich wore, they mean the very rich. So it's not an insignificant word. There is no word in this passage that is insignificant. So as you're reading, if you say, well, that's an odd little detail, look into it. There's probably a reason for that odd little detail. So this rich man was very wealthy. But was he evil? 
Because he was wealthy, was he evil? And it doesn't tell us that in the passage, right? As a matter of fact, he allows Lazarus to sit at his gate. He doesn't go out there and start kicking him away. So there's nothing to say that he's evil. He ends up in hell. He certainly doesn't know Christ. He's not per se good. He's not following God. But he's also not evil. So he's probably somewhere in between. He's probably the the lukewarm. And we see what God thinks of lukewarmness in our lives in Revelations 3, 15, and 17. If I can find Revelations 3, 15 and 17 here. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is not a fan of lukewarm. And at best, this man was lukewarm. So what is our examples today of the rich man? Because maybe some of you are more like the rich man than you think. Because the rich man probably went to the temple. He probably made his sacrifices. He was Jewish. He probably made his sacrifices. He had a family. He cared about his five brothers. He didn't want them to end up where he was. He may have even served on some committees to help the poor. And yet, every day he just walked by Lazarus and didn't pay any attention to him. The Pharisees, who, like I said, Jesus was talking to with this parable, they were all those things. They went to church every day. They followed the letter of the law, and yet they were far from God. So does this sound like you today? The next section And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. So who was Lazarus? Was he a godly man? I'd say yes. He sought God even though he went through such hardships. And how do we know this? Because he was poor? Because he was poor, he was godly? No. We know this because God knew his name. In John 10, 3, Jesus tells another story. He says, The gatekeeper opens the gates for him, the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He, again the shepherd in this passage, calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. Remember, every detail in this parable is important. Jesus is telling this story to reveal truths. And he uses Lazarus' name, but not 
the name of the rich man. He's just the rich man. Jesus knows Lazarus' name. God knows Lazarus' name because Lazarus is one of those sheep. Lazarus belongs to God. The rich man was given a name at birth. He had a name. His five brothers would have known him by that name. His parents knew him by that name. His friends knew him by that name. But God does not call that name. The rich man had made a greater name for himself here on earth. But the shepherd does not call him by that either. Why? Because in John 3 verses 4, or John 10 verses 4 and 5, Jesus is going to go a little further and say this. When he, so the shepherd, when the shepherd has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep will follow them because, he, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, in fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You see, the rich man was not one of God's sheep. The rich man had made himself a stranger to God. So what would be the point of the great shepherd calling his name? He wouldn't come anyway. And then Jesus is going to give us another example of how far the rich man was from God in the next line. When he says, even the dogs would come and lick his sores. Now, we read this passage, and I don't know what your first thought was about dogs licking his sores. Oftentimes, we jump to that this was some negative thing, that Lazarus was so weak he couldn't defend himself from these dogs, and even they were coming up and abusing him. But we don't believe that that's the case. Even the dogs cared for Lazarus better than the rich man. When it says the dogs came and licked his sores, what did dogs do to their own wounds? They licked them. The dogs were trying to take care of Lazarus better than the rich man who had all this wealth, who could have very easily fed him, could have easily taken him in and provided for him and helped him get back on his feet. But he wouldn't. But the dogs did what they could. So you ask, you may ask, why would it be humane for dogs to lick Lazarus? Why would Jesus share this? Well, it's interesting today that, uh, and this is from PetMD, I'm not just making this stuff up. PetMD says, there's healing properties in a dog's saliva. So this may be the reason that they lick their wounds. They say certain proteins in dog saliva called histatins can defend against infection, and research has shown that there are other beneficial chemicals in a dog's saliva that can help protect cuts from infections. There is evidence, they say, that suggests that wounds licked by dogs heal twice as fast as wounds that were not licked. I'm going to say Jesus knows this little piece of information. So when he's sharing this passage, he's not talking about how pathetic Lazarus is. 
What he's talking about is how pathetic the rich man is. That the dogs, these animals just acting on instinct, naturally acted more humane than he did. So now the time has come. Each one of them has chosen their path. So our next line, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. See, now the tables have turned. Now it's Lazarus who had been in poverty and suffering here in this world is now being carried off by angels to paradise. While the rich man who had been exalted in this world, whose funeral was probably lavish and who was mourned by those of this world, is now buried. Literally, his body goes down into the ground. Spiritually, his soul now is also buried in the pit, as it is often called in Scripture, or in hell, as we call it today. And it's not hard to understand this flipping of the tables. All through the scriptures, God has told us that that's the way it is. In Proverbs 29, 23, Solomon tells us, a man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. The tables have been flipped. So in Hades, the next passage here, the next line, in Hades where he was being tormented, He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. I get it. This is a parable. And what we want to say is that, yeah, Jesus is telling this parable. It's not a true story. So we want to say, well, there is no hell, really. Jesus is just using this imagery. But I can't read this passage where Jesus is trying to reveal truths through a story. I can't read this passage, and I can't read all the other passages about weeping and gnashing of teeth and being thrown into the flames and say there is no hell. I don't think the scriptures support that. Jesus, who came from heaven, who knows what's on the other side, uses this parable to teach what is to come after this life. And I can't believe that as some people would say, he's just making this up to scare people into living the way he wants them to live. And Jesus is saying this, not the church 100, 200, 300 years later. Jesus is saying this. So it's not just the church saying, using a scare tactic to get people to turn to God. There is a hell. There will be a judgment. And each one of us is on one of these two paths. There is life after death. So which of the two destinations are we heading for? Abraham goes on and says, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, 
evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Remember that everything flipped a little bit ago. Whereas the rich man was in a comfortable place, he goes to hell, and vice versa for Lazarus. But I want you to understand that the flip is not why Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man is in hell. They have each come to their destination because they chose that destination. And it's actually the parallels that led them to hell. Yeah, the rich man was rich, now he's suffering. Lazarus was poor and in agony, now he's in paradise. That's not what got them to their destination, but it was the parallels. You see, the rich man didn't want God in his life here on earth. And that hasn't changed. Excuse me. The rich man still doesn't want God, even though he's in hell. Now you think, how is that possible? But there's a hardening of the heart that we talked about a few weeks ago during our Hosea study. And when people harden their hearts to God here, that same hardening occurs even after we have made that decision and we end up wherever we're going to end up. Because you notice what what, uh, the rich man did not say in our last section? He did not say, Abraham, have mercy on me and bring me to you. Have mercy on me and get me out of this place. He said, have mercy on me and just allow Lazarus to dip his finger in water and touch my tongue. Why didn't he ask to get out of that place? Because heaven is where they are and God is in that place. And just like the rich man wanted nothing to do with God in this world, He wants nothing to do with God in the next world. All he wants is some comfort. Lazarus, despite his suffering, doesn't turn away from God. He doesn't blame God for his hardships. He continues to believe and trust God. And again, you say, how can we know this? But again, God knew Lazarus's name. Lazarus was one of his sheep. You see, <clears throat> I know that sometimes we like to think or we just get tempted to think, why would a loving God send people to hell? God isn't throwing people into hell kicking and screaming. We are walking there on our own. God has provided the way out. And yet people don't want God. They would rather live in hell alone without God than enter paradise with him. They would rather continue to wallow in their misery here on earth than turn to God And in the next life, it is the same. Nobody is being thrown into hell, kicking and screaming. And it doesn't make any sense. To those of us who know Christ, it certainly doesn't make any sense. Why would you not want to know 
God. And yet we see it played out in people's lives all the time. We don't want to surrender our comforts. We don't want to give up our pleasures or our addictions. And when things don't go our way, we may say a quick prayer and ask God to fix it. Sometimes we may just ask other people to pray for us and we don't bother. But when, it's not, when we are not immediately relieved of whatever we've asked for, we blame God and say there is no God. All the time, people sitting in pews on church, at church every Sunday, have this same mentality that I'll come to church because it's what I should do. I'll pray because it's what I should do. But don't ask me to suffer. Don't ask me to struggle. Don't ask me to step out of my comfort zone for God. And you know what? That's where God is. God is in the trials. He is in the suffering. He is not in our comfort zone with us. He is waiting for us outside of our comfort zones. But we don't really want that God. So we get in the next life exactly what we have sought after in this life. In the next life, a great chasm will separate us from God. Just on earth, a great chasm has separated separated us from God. Let's read the next section because Abraham continues. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us, he said. There's a chasm between where Lazarus is and where the rich man is. But in this world, there was also a chasm between God and humanity created by sin. In 1 Timothy 2, 2 through 6, for kings and all those in authority, I'm sorry, let me start over. May we live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Jesus came to bridge the gap between us and God. No longer do we need to wallow in hell in this life or the next because he has made a way for us. He has bridged that gap that we may come to know him and that we may know God. The rich man then says, Father, I beg you to send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as Savior of your life here and now and for all eternity, 
So let's say that again. If you do not know Jesus Christ right now as Savior and Lord of your life for this life and the next, if you do not know this Jesus, if you do not know this God, then I, right at this moment, as your pastor here today, I am your Lazarus. I am the one being sent to you to share with you this message, this good news, that you may know God, that you can have a relationship with him, and that he may have a relationship with you, that he may call you by name as he did Lazarus, and as he does for all of his flock. You see, Jesus' work is finished, and it has been revealed. So stop looking for signs. Trust in the word of God. Because Abraham says to the rich man, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. My friends, the sign has been given. Jesus has risen from the dead. Trust in God and trust in his word. Seek the God that Lazarus sought not the God that exists with you in your comfort zone, but the one true God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. Lord, I pray that you would test us and know our hearts, search us and know our anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the path everlasting. Father, I pray that if any of us are the rich man right now, that you would reveal that to us, that we would let go of the things of this world that we spend too much time with and that we would seek you with our whole hearts. Father, let us not end up where the rich man ended up in this life or the next, Father. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.